As I said, it is a new month and new series, and uh, I, I love our, our little theme that we do here. Uh, it's, if you kind of notice the 80s theme, even the screen's a little blurry, that's intentional. We're trying to make it look like it's a VCR. Uh, our, our, our production team loves to have fun with this. And if you were here a year ago, you know we actually did this series last year at the same time. Uh, so um, just to let you know, this is not a replica of that. We're not doing the same sermons. They're actually all gonna be different. Uh, but we really didn't feel like we got to touch on everything last year that we wanted to do when it comes to uh, love being a battlefield, the tension in relationships. So this is more of a continuation of that series that we're, we're gonna continue on with this month. So I'm really excited about it. I feel like it's kind of in my wheelhouse. And uh, you guys all know that if you're in any kind of relationship, there's gonna be tension, whether it's relationship with others or even with yourself. Sometimes, how many of you know we're our own worst enemy sometimes? Uh, or if it's tension in your relationship with God. Uh, and we're gonna look this month at how we approach that tension, how we approach all the relationships in our life, biblically, and how we can thrive and be victorious in those relationships. So that's basically what this series is gonna be. Like I said, I'm excited about it. In fact, I wanna jump right into my text verse for the day, so if you would please stand with me, as we like to do here in honor of reading God's word together. It'll be up on the screen, Matthew 22, verses 34 to 37. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Let me just stop here for just one second and, and let, us, let us understand and receive the depth and the, the gravity of what he is saying here. He's saying there is no greater commandment, there's no greater thing that you can do in the history of the world, there's nothing you can do that is more important than loving the Lord your God. That's huge, that's huge. God help us to get that in our life. That there's nothing that matters more in life than loving God. Now obviously that entails a lot of things, but man, that's gotta be the foundation. That's gotta be the starting point for where we go in our life. So today I'm gonna talk to you about the battlefield simply of loving your God. Would you pray with me? Our wonderful, gracious, heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place today. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us. God, help us to love you. Lord, we thank you that you draw us to you and that you are good and you're gracious and you're compassionate, you're slow to anger, you're rich in love. And God, I pray that would be real in our hearts today. Let our hearts be good soil for your word to produce fruit in our life. And we pray, God, that you and you alone would receive all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, it's been said that love is the greatest force, the strongest force in the universe. Now, I don't know the heart of the person that coined that phrase, what they meant by that, but what I could tell you is that there's truth behind it that it is a strong desire, one of the strongest, if not the strongest desire in each and every human being to not only love, but to be loved. Amen? We want to be loved. And it's great because it's God's idea. Anything that's God's idea is a good thing, right? Because it's biblical, it's his idea. He is the one that created us to want to love and to be loved. So it's a good initiative that God has put into us. The, the issue is that anytime God has an initiative in our life, there's also going to be an adversarial initiative in our life as well. It's gonna come from the enemy of your soul, it's gonna come from you, it's gonna come from all these other places. And the, the issue we've had with love, one of the biggest issues we have with love in the church for us as believers is that we have allowed society to define what love is. And can I tell you today, society has lied to you. They have lied to us because they have taken love and made it something that you see in rom-coms or in love songs, the countless love songs that you hear on the radio. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but when we allow those things to define love, what we're doing is we are taking love and reducing it down to this primal emotion that's all about our feelings. It's all about how I feel in the situation. It's meant, love is meant to make me feel a certain way. It's meant to give me goosebumps and give me the, the ooey gooey feelings that, come, that are so fun that can come with love. And we all know that when we, when we allow our emotions to have their say, it can have dastardly effects in our life. Right? We are not designed to be led 
by our emotions and allow their emotions to have the say in what we do in our life. And it's because of this definition of love that we've seen so much turmoil even in marriages, even in the church in marriages. And because when you define love that way, well then when your feelings start to change for an extended period of time, what happens is then you start to pull away and you end up having marriages break up because I just don't feel the way I felt about you five years ago or 10 years ago. Or love becomes something that's, it's this uncontrollable force that we're almost victims of, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't mean for this to happen. I didn't mean to fall in love with this other person, honey. Uh, it just happened and I, I can't help it. I was just uncontrollably pulled in that direction. So that's the way I have to go because I have to follow my heart, right? You've heard the advice, follow your heart. Can I tell you that's the, some of the worst advice you'll ever take in your life. Never ever follow your heart because your heart is your emotions and your feelings. And we're not designed to go that way. Does anybody know the, 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 what emotions and Yankees have in common? They are not to be trusted. <laughs> I could say that because I'm a Yankee. So none of you could say that unless you're from the North. Uh, I've been here 21 years and I still get called a Yankee like every week. Uh, one day, maybe I'll be a Southern boy, we'll see. But uh, no, we're not meant to trust in our emotions because love is not just a feeling. Now that is a part of it. God, God gave us that, that's a beautiful thing and we can embrace that, that's a piece of the pie, it's just not the whole pie. And if we let society define what it is, then unfortunately, that's what it's going to be. I am so thankful in my personal life I'm so thankful that my wife knows that love is not just a feeling. Because there are days, I know it's gonna be hard to believe, but there are days that she doesn't feel as strongly about me as she does other days. That's tough to comprehend because I know I'm very lovable. But it happens. <laughs> Actually, I'm sure I'm a problem to live with, but you, you're thankful when you have someone in your life that, that understands that it's not just about our feelings. And it's why my text tells us where Jesus says, they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, it's to love the Lord your God, but it doesn't stop there. He says to love the Lord, how? With all of your heart, which is, that's your emotion, so that's a good thing, you, that's part of it. It's good that we have feelings, but then he doesn't stop there. He also says with all your mind and with all of your soul, your whole being. In other places, when he talks about it, he actually adds in to love me with all of your strength. So it's not just our emotions, it's our will, it's our determination, it's our strength, it's our choices that we make, it's an intentional, deliberate choice we make to love. That's what real love looks like. But unfortunately, we have too often allowed other places to define what this looks like. And I, I can tell you today that they're, they're all designed to work together. You know, I can, I can say confidently, I really love Jesus. I love him. Uh, he's done so much in my life and I've experienced his love in powerful ways. I really love him, but I also know enough to know that the days that I don't feel that love necessarily doesn't change my level of commitment. You know, if I'm in my feels, in my relationship with Jesus, and I can get really emotional, worked up, and excited, those days are wonderful. But there are days that I don't feel it. There are days I really wanna do my thing and I don't feel that emotional attachment to God because that's just how our emotions work but I know enough to know that that's not gonna change my commitment. It's not gonna change my determination. It's not gonna change my choices when it comes to loving God because I know enough to know that my love for him is not just an emotion. Emotions are great when they're high, right? When your emotions are high in a relationship and everything's great, like you know when you just start dating someone and you're both just really drawn to each other and there's just this stirring and it feels really, really good, those feelings are great. Emotions in that time is a wonderful thing. But when the emotions are low, they are a dastardly foe because they will lie to you. They'll tell you things that aren't true and they'll lead you in directions. They'll take you places that you don't wanna go. So we cannot allow them to lead us. And I'm starting this series talking about the most important relationship that we could ever have on this earth and that's our relationship with God. And what I hope to do over the month is Talk to you about our relationship with God and also our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with others and even the world. Uh, today we're gonna focus on that relationship with God. It is the most important relationship you'll ever have, but it's also the one with the most tension and it's also the one that can be the most frustrating. 
we're really honest with ourselves, but it's so important that we get this right. And the tension is there because the bar has been set very high for us. The bar is high in our relationship with God. And he has a right to do that because he has done so much for us. But not only does he say we have to love him with everything, we have to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he goes even further in Luke 14, in verse 26, look what he says. He says, if anyone comes to me, which is just another way of saying, if you're going to have a love relationship with me, this is what you have to do. You have to hate your, your father and mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters, yes, even his own life, if you wanna be in a relationship with Jesus. Now, we talked about this verse last month. He's not literally saying there that you have to hate all these people. He's saying in comparison to your love for me, it should almost look like hate to everybody else. But he really, really gets in our business when he says you even have to love me more than you love your own life. I have to love you more than I love myself, God? Therein lies the battlefield. That's the battlefield of our love relationship with God because it's not enough for him just to say, yeah, you just love me, just you know, give me what you can and I'll take care of everything. He said, no, if you're gonna love me, this is what I want. I want your heart, mind, soul, strength, and I need you to love me more than you love yourself. And that's the challenge for us. You ever notice in the Bible there are no verses that command us to love ourselves? Nothing. You can look and look and look. You will not find a verse that says, thou shalt love thyself. You know why? I think we all know why. I don't need the Bible to tell me that. I'm good at that. We have a self-preservation built into us, hardwired into us at birth. We're good at taking care of ourselves. You know what I do if I'm hungry? I eat. If I'm thirsty, I get something to drink. If I'm tired, I go to bed and get some sleep. And I make sure my bed's comfortable, and I got blankets, and everything is just so-so, right? Because that's how we live. We know how to take care of ourselves. It's not something that we, you know, we don't wake up or go through the day and go, man, you know, I just, just don't really want to take care of myself. Lord, help me want to take care of myself and to love myself. You don't see that because we don't need to. In fact, our love for ourself is the standard that God uses when he talks about how we should love others. Because Jesus gave us that first greatest commandment that we are to love God. The second commandment, as many of you know, he follows up in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. He says, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, this is Jesus saying, listen, I know you love yourself. I want you to love your neighbor just like that. I want you to take care of their needs and help them and be as committed to them as you are to yourself. That's how we're to love others. But then he takes it another step further when it comes to our relationship with him because he says, you love others like you love yourself, but I need you to love me more than you love yourself. That's a lot. And that's why this relationship is so tense at times, why there's such a tension there, why there is such a battlefield in our hearts and our minds when it comes to our relationship with God. Because on a Sunday morning in church, we say, love the Lord your God. We're like, yes, that's right, because we all agree it's good. Let's sing some songs about how we love God. It's fun, it stirs us up a little bit. But in about three hours, when I'm done preaching, you guys are gonna go out these doors. That was a joke. You're gonna go out these doors after this service and you're gonna have to, and life's gonna smack you right upside the head. And loving God isn't as easy when you're not in a room like this with a bunch of really cool Christians, right? But it doesn't make it any less important in our life. And one of the biggest reasons we struggle with this is that because we don't know or we don't want to embrace our role in our relationship with God. You ever heard the term, know your role? Know your role in your relationship with God. It's so, so important. And I, help, I hope to help you with that today because it is so important that we get this. Some of us are misguided. Some of us just flat out don't know. Some of us just don't really care. We're content to be kind of at that surface level relationship with God. But I can tell you today without question that that's a recipe for misery. The only joy that comes in life is really understanding the depth of relationship with God that he wants us to have. So there's three main battlefields today that I wanna give you when we talk about he versus me. Battlefields in our relationship with God. And I think these are probably the three most prevalent. 
in our life, and I hope to get through them all. I'm gonna spend most of my time on this first one because I think it is so, so important for us, and it is loving versus love, which I know doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface there, I'll explain it. Uh, if you're taking notes, you wanna write it out a little more, it'd be like loving God versus being loved by God. And you might say, well, that's not a battlefield. That's, you know, I love God and he loves me. What's, what's the battle in there? Well, this is actually a huge, monstrous battlefield that many of us struggle with and we don't even know we're struggling with it. Many Christians go through their life and never really recognize this battle and live frustrated in their love for God. And for, so, for some of you, this may be revelatory. For some of you, this may be a, just a good reminder for us, but I believe this is going to help us when we're talking about loving our God because it is foundational. I pray that you do not miss this today, okay? So if you have a desire to live for Jesus, right, which many of you do, at least on some level, there is tension and there are challenges that come when we talk about our commitment, our love commitment to our God, right? There's challenges. And what we do is we try to live our life in such a way that we are uh, enhancing, that we are cultivating that love for God that we have. We'll do that by telling him, we'll tell God that we love him. You know, you do that in prayer. You might tell him you love him through prayer. You might tell him through worship. You know, we are very intentional about our songs that we sing here at New Hope because we believe that we want our worship to be vertical, that we are expressing our love to God, that we are expressing our praise and worship to him. It's very important. And so we emphasize that, and that's a good thing for us to tell God how much we love him because it reminds us, right? So we pray, we tell him how much we love him, we do, we do that. We also tell others. You might share your faith with someone and tell them how much you love God. Or you might, you know, you teach your kids or maybe you've taught in Sunday school or something and you've talked about your love for God. We do that and that, that's good for stirring up our love for God. So we'll tell others. We'll also display it, right? James said that faith without works is dead. So we'll do things that express our love for God to remind us even sometimes of our love for God. And then finally, I think sometimes we'll tell ourselves, you know, remind ourselves of our love for God. You might do that through, you might put sticky notes on your bathroom mirror that remind you, or do things that, that help you to remember your love for God, to encourage you and challenge you, right? And we express and we say it and we sing it, but yet we struggle to stay committed. I think all of us probably do on some level, right? And what happens is sometimes we struggle in such a way that we start to feel like a hypocrite, because I'm saying one thing but I don't really always feel that way, or I, I see all the challenges that are coming in my own mind, the, the battlefields that I'm fighting in my love relationship with God, and you feel like you're sometimes losing the battle in your life. Well, can I tell you today that a big reason we lose this battle is because we're fighting wrong. Now, I'm not saying anything, any of those things I just mentioned, they're all good. We all need to be doing that. But, you know, the Bible tells us that we cannot love God on our own very clearly, there is nothing in you that makes you want to love God because you are born with the sin nature. We, I've talked a lot about the flesh man, the flesh. That is the sin nature that's in us. There is nothing in us. Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are deceitful and wicked and beyond cure on our own. The only thing that can make you love God is his Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says no one can come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws him. That coming to God, that's about loving God, committing your life to God. You can't even do it if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw you, right? The beauty is when we give our lives and our hearts to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us. He dwells in us. So we have the Holy Spirit. He is the one that even gives you the desire to wanna sing worship to Jesus. That's, that's who he is. That's what he does. That's part of his role in our life is to draw us to Jesus. So we're thankful for that, right? We cannot love him unless we know that he loves us. And the only way to do that is by his spirit drawing us. And so what drives our love for God cannot just be our desire to love him because we know it's the right thing to do. It has to be in response to his love for us. The only way to love God and to really win the battle of loving God and being committed, obedient, you know, honoring, grateful, thankful, and having the emotions stir up and all of the things we wanna do in our relationship with God, the only way to really accomplish that is to receive and understand and have a revelation of his love for you. 
And see, we don't even spend, we oftentimes don't spend a lot of time focusing on that. We, we get the initial idea, we understand it. You had to have had a revelation of that to some degree to, give your, to get saved, really. But then it seems like from that moment on, we can spend all of our time or the lion's share of our time focusing on how much we love him. And what it does is we're actually fighting against ourselves because we can't love him. We need the, what draws our love, what, what the engine behind our love for God is understanding his love for us. It's the only way. There is no other way to love God. I'm here to tell you today. In fact, I'll give you an illustration from the Bible. Um, I shared part of this actually on Wednesday night on our first Wednesday with the guys. But uh, So you look at the Gospels, okay? You look at the life of Jesus while he was on the earth. And he had his 12 disciples, right? And then among his 12, he had three that he was, that was his inner, inner circle. It was Peter and then James and John. And they were the closest ones to him, right? And, and he walked with them and he shared things with them that he didn't share with some of the others and, and they were really close to him. And when you see the comparison or the contrast between Peter and John, it's actually pretty big. So Peter, if you, if you read the Gospels, you see the theme of Peter's relationship with Jesus was more about Peter convincing Jesus how much he loved him. You know, Jesus says, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you, Jesus. And, and, and um, Jesus tells him, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter says, there's no way I would do that. I would die for you, Jesus. And he's trying to convince how much he loved Jesus, right? And then you got John over here. If you read the Gospel of John, what you see is that the Gospel of John, he talks a lot about how he is the beloved disciple, how loved he is by Jesus and how Jesus loved him. And you get this sense from John's writings that he just knew that Jesus really loved him. In fact, sometimes it almost comes across arrogant. Like, man, he is really thinking highly of himself, you know? But that's not what it was at all. What it was, was he had a revelation of the love of God for him. And he embraced it and knew it. And so when trauma comes into the situation with these disciples and Jesus, when Jesus gets arrested, you see the contrast here because when Jesus gets arrested, what happens to Peter? Denies him three times, calls curses down upon himself, literally hours after he told Jesus, I'll die for you. Now, is Peter just being some huge hypocrite and he doesn't know anything and he's a jerk? No, it's not that at all. That was, I mean, many of us probably would have responded the same way. When you start thinking, I'm gonna get crucified too, I don't know this guy, right? I'm not, not here to ridicule or rip on Peter at all, but I'm giving you the, the situation here so we can have some understanding. Contrarily, you look at John, and what happens to John when Jesus gets arrested and taken and crucified? John's the only disciple that's at the cross when Jesus got crucified. He's the only one that stuck with him. Now, is that because John was just some tough guy and was like, I'm just gonna do this, I don't care what anybody thinks, nobody's gonna tell me what to do? No, very doubtful. In fact, he was the youngest disciple, he was very young. He was probably nothing, not much more than a kid, maybe in his late teens, early 20s at best, right? Yet he stayed with Jesus through the crucifixion, took care of Jesus' mother Mary after Jesus went back to heaven. And we see this, this contrast, and it is in no small part because Peter was more focused on his love for Jesus, trying to prove to God how much he loved him, and John was content to receive that love and live in that love and embrace that love and even brag about that love. And it's the same exact thing in our life, the same exact thing in our life. We cannot really love God until we experience his love. I'll say it another way. Your expression of your love to God is directly proportional to your experience of his love for you. Now, does that mean we don't focus any of our energy on saying how we love God? Of course not. That's, I just said we, we gear a lot of our songs toward us loving God. But church, what we have to do is be very intentional about not spending all of our time on that and making intentional, deliberate effort and, and focus on receiving his love and focusing on how much he loves you and personalizing it in your life. Many of you have had a revelation of God's love for you, but maybe it's been a long time ago. Maybe you haven't experienced it in a long time and you've spent all your energy just trying to love God. Like, I know, I know God is good, I know he's faithful, I know all these things, and I just wanna love him so much, and we just focus all on trying to love God, when in reality, God's saying, if you will receive my love, if you'll focus on my love for you, the love you have for me will be a natural outflowing of your relationship with me. Now, does it mean you'll be perfect? No, 
Does it mean you won't make mistakes and have days where you don't know if you love God or not or you feel weird or you get up in your feels and everything's horrible and terrible for a couple days? No, it doesn't mean that won't happen. But as a lifestyle, as a lifestyle of living a committed life to God, as we focus on his love for us, it changes everything if we will do that first. And you might say, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we do that, first of all, we do that by prayer. We do that in our prayer life, not just saying, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're great, and declaring who he is, but also saying, God, I thank you that you love me. And we personalize the scriptures. There are, you can do a Google search now and find a verse in three seconds. You Google Bible verses that show God's love for us. You'll get a list that you couldn't read in a day. And you take those verses and you personalize them. You don't just say, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son. You say, for God so loved me that he gave his only son. For God so loved me that he gave his only son. It was, it was because of his great love for me that he did what he did. And we personalized it. You need to believe as much as you believe anything else you need to believe that Jesus went to the cross for you. Not just on Easter, every day. That he had you on his mind. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, scorning and shame. You were the joy set before him. Not just everybody else back then, you. And personalizing it in your life and owning it in your life. And praying that God would reveal his great love to you. There's, there's parts we can play in this. You have to know the word. You have to know the character of God to be able to even understand his love for you. Now, could God give you a revelation in a moment of how much he loves you and, and, and just shower you with the Father's love in a, in, a, in a moment with him? Yes, and he's done it for me. And I can tell you, those are the best moments in life. But you can't, you don't live that way where that's all that happens to you. You, 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 oh, you just, it wouldn't even work in your life to function that way. The majority of our time is us expressing, believing how much he actually loves us in our life. I can say, church, pretty confidently that I am in very little danger of ever walking away from my relationship with Jesus. Very, very little danger. Now, I'm not saying I have it all together and everything's perfect, not even close, but I can tell you this, I've had a revelation of his love for me. And once you've had that revelation of his love for you, you can't walk away. You can't do it. Where else can you go? Where else can I go when I understand that he lived and died and rose again for me and took the punishment I deserved and I really believe that and personalize it? There's nowhere to go. I mean, you talk about, that's, that's like, like, no, no, no. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna be inside the plane while we're at 30,000 feet. I wanna walk out on the wing. It's like so ridiculous you would never do it. And that's what it's like to walk away from your faith when you've had a revelation and an experience of God's great love for you. You were the joy that was set before him. You know, in my text verse, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, he's actually quoting a verse from Deuteronomy when he says that. And this is the Lord speaking through Moses to the children of Israel when they were uh, when he delivered them out of Egypt, right? And so you guys, most of you know the story of God's promises and his faithfulness to the children of Israel through all of this, delivering them from Egypt and miraculously delivering them and then providing for them in the desert with manna and quail and, and water and everything they needed and all these miracles and, and blessings to them. And then he speaks through Moses and says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. Now in my study, and I... I feel pretty confident that I didn't miss anything. It's possible, but I feel pretty confident about this. This is the first place in the Bible where God says to love me. Up until this point, everything has been an expression of his love for them. Everything. We're talking a long time. Years and years and years and years and years. He had expressed his love and showed his love and showed his faithfulness to his people for generations before he finally says, now I want you to love me with everything you got. That's exactly what he's doing for us. 
He has loved us. He has done everything that he needs to do to reveal and express and manifest his love for us. And now he says, now I want you to love me in the same way. He's not telling us to love him because I'm God and that's what I do and I said to do it, so you need to do it. He's saying, I want you to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because you broke relationship with me. You had a debt you couldn't pay. I came down, not only did I make you, I came down and I did everything that I had to do to make so you could have a relationship with me. Now I expect you to give me everything you got. It's not just something he does because he's God. He's asking us to love him in response to his love for us. So if you have not experienced that love, if you've never really felt like, I just don't really feel like God's love is personal for me, can I tell you, don't go anywhere else in your faith. Don't, don't take any other steps until you prioritize that in your life because it will change your life if you know how much he loves you. No doubt about it. All right, the second one. The second battlefield is conformity versus rebellion. Conformity versus rebellion. This is a tough one for us. You know, in human relationships, they're usually a give and take, right? The only way for a human relationship to really grow and be healthy is for there to be a give and take. If you give some, the other person gives some, and the relationship grows. If only one person in the relationship is giving, it might hang on, but it's not gonna be healthy. There has to be give and take. Well, in some aspects, that's how it is in our relationship with God, but more than that, overall, it's not as much a give and take, it's, it's more like he gave everything, so now we need to give everything we have. It's actually his way or no way when it comes to relationship with him. He says, I want you to conform to me. I want you to conform to my ways, to be, to be in relationship with him. He's the one holding all the cards, he's the one that has everything invested in this relationship with you, so now he's demanding our complete and total allegiance to him. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we were actually purchased with a price. He says, don't you know your body's not even your own anymore? You were purchased. That price that was was paid to purchase you was Jesus' death and resurrection. So we were purchased, so we're not even our own anymore. So this relationship with him is not about us coming into the relationship to see what we can get out of it, but it is about us giving everything we are, and it is about conforming ourselves to him. In fact, Romans 8, 29 tells us exactly what God's heart is. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He calls us, he has planned it for each and every one of us, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Notice it's very clear there that we are to be conformed to his likeness. It's not that he would be conformed to our likeness. Thank God for that. We are to be conformed to his likeness, which means that we would become more like him, not him becoming more like us. We are here to become more like him. The problem is we love to rebel, don't we? We all love to rebel. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as a preacher on a Sunday morning, but I'm in the boat with you. There's something in us that loves to rebel, especially if we can get away with it, right? It can be exhilarating if you break the rules and you get away with it. You know, everybody's got a story about breaking the rules, cheating on a test, and your heart was pounding through your chest, but you had to do it anyway because you forgot to study and you cheated and you got away with it, right? None of you guys have done that though, right? Okay. Or coming in late after curfew and, and getting away with it, right? It's, it's scary, but it's exhilarating because we wanna do what we wanna do, right? Sneaking in the kitchen window at two in the morning past curfew, like I used to do sometimes and thought I got away with it, found out years later I didn't get away with it. My mom knew everything I did, but I guess you're just too tired to get up. <laughs> but there's something about that rebellious part inside of us that sometimes wants to have its way, right? Rather than conform to the likeness of God, we can tend to choose rebellion, even spiritually. You know, the spiritual disciplines in our life, it can be so easy to rebel against God or, or, or the word of God, rebelling against this. And you know it because I, I've had people often come to me and, and ask how much they can get away with, you know? How far can I go in dating? Can I watch R-rated movies? 
is there any shows off limits on Netflix, right? What kind of music? Do I have to just listen to Christian music? How much do I need to go to church? How much do I need to give? Do I need to give off my net or my gross? What do I need to do? And we're doing that not to see how much we can do for God, but how much we can get away with. Because rather than conform to him, we'd rather him kind of put up with some of us rather than really giving all we are. Very seldom do I have somebody coming to me and say, how much can I give of myself to God? I wanna give more of myself. I wanna see how much I can cross over into this, into this uh, level of holiness that God would want me to live. Like, that's what I wanna do. I'm not saying we don't do that. Of course we do, but we all more often hear, how much can I get away with and not really make God mad? Because <laughs> that's what's in our heart a lot of times, isn't it? Because there is rebellion in our hearts. And if we're not careful, it can have its way in our life. And you might be thinking, well, I can still love God and rebel, right? Well, you can make mistakes and still love God. But we talk about rebellion, we're talking about willful rebellion, will, refusing to conform to the likeness of Jesus. And according to Jesus' definition of love, no, you cannot rebel and love Jesus. You cannot live a lifestyle of rebellion and love Jesus. In fact, John says in, I think it's in 1 John, he says that if you, you cannot continue in this lifestyle of sin and say you love God, if you do, you're a liar. There's no love of God in you. So we don't get to choose this half-hearted lifestyle of rebellion and a little bit of God and just think that it's not a big deal. In fact, in John 14, verse 15, Jesus says it very clearly. These are the words of Jesus. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, this is not a threat from Jesus. This is not him saying, if you love me, you better obey. You know, it's not like how we talk to our kids. You better do this. He's not threatening us at all. He's merely stating a fact. He's saying, listen, if you really love me, obey, obeying me is gonna be the overflow of it. Now, are you going to make mistakes? Are you gonna have moments where you do dumb things? Of course. But as a rule, as a lifestyle, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands because that's what is the manifestation, that is the evidence of your love. You might say, well, but, you know, I mean, I've rebelled against my parents all the time, but I still loved them. Actually, if you look at the biblical definition, you didn't love them. You might have cared about them. You had an emotional attachment. You know, you didn't really want to hurt them and you needed them, but you didn't really love. Because love is about commitment. It's about honor. It's about respect. It's about choosing obedience in those situations. That's what real love looks like. So no, we don't love when we willfully rebel. It's an intentional, deliberate choice to obey. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest dangers in the church today has nothing to do with anything outside of the walls of the church. It's right in the middle of the church. And that is this, this idea where we take God and we minimize his standard of holiness in our life and we replace it with this idea or this, this self-made God that just wants us to be happy. Where that's God's primary focus in our life. And he will overlook my willful rebellion because he just loves me so much. That's a danger in the church, in, in, in the West especially, where we have, have, have reduced God to this person that just wants to make us happy. We don't have to conform to him. He'll actually conform to us. He'll, he'll figure it out somehow. In the, end of the, at the, in the end, it's all good because I'm a good person because I love God. When in reality, we're in a lot of danger when we live our life in that way. In fact, in 1 Samuel 15, we see what God thinks of rebellion. He says, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, which is another word for witchcraft, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Basically, at the end of the day, rebellion is idolatry. Because what rebellion does, it is elevating my will above God's will. And it is making an idol out of my will. Because this is what I want to do. And this is a challenge, this is a tension, this is a battlefield for us in our relationship with God. To live in such a way that we are idolizing our own will, our own purpose, 
not really concerned about God's purpose, but really want him just to kind of come along for the ride. And it's a scary, dangerous place to be. You know, when we think about idolatry, you look at the Bible and you think about idolatry, you know, idolatry is like, you know, a golden calf or a statue or some weird thing that people would create, carved images, you know, they would worship those things. We don't really do that today. We've given idolatry a facelift in 2022. It's not so much about stuff like that. It's more about me elevating my will, my purpose, my goals, my dreams. Can we please stop talking about my God dreams? I've come to hate that phrase. It's not about your God dreams. It's about you fulfilling the will of God for your life. It's not about him fulfilling your dreams. It's about you living in response to what he did for you. That's what this life looks like. And we make an idol out of our will if we do not make that a priority in our life to make sure that we are conforming to his likeness, not to ours. God did not die so that your will would be done. He died so that his will could be done in your life. I I heard, I think it was Spurgeon that said it, or I read it, I didn't hear it. He said that God does not exist to make much of you, you exist to make much of him. That's everything, church. And it it can seem so subtle, that, that idea of God existing to make much of me it can creep into our life so easily. It can come in so easily. I'm not gonna stand up here and be sanctimonious and act like I've got it all together. There are days where I have to remind myself, yep, it's not about me. This life is not about me. Nope, it's not about, the reason I'm freaked out right now, the reason I'm stressed out and anxious is because I'm making it about me. If it's not about me, there's no reason for the anxiety. It's actually about him. This is a constant battlefield of constant tension that we have to be reminded of in our life, to conform to him, not to rebel. All right, third and finally, the third battlefield is trust versus control. And I'm only gonna take a couple minutes on this. Don't worry, we're not gonna be here for another hour. I'm only gonna touch on this today because uh, I feel like I'm gonna talk about this more as the month progresses, because I think this deserves more than just a, uh, a few minutes. But trust versus control is a big tension, a big battlefield in the life of us as believers. Uh, one of the greatest challenges and also the greatest rewards in church ministry is trying to convince people of their utter desperate need to trust Jesus in their life, right? I, I know I talk about this some, but the fact that we are so blessed in this nation can make it, can actually work against us really trusting him because we can kind of figure things out. I, I know when, when I first came to Augusta, I just came out of the missions, I've been in missions for five years and most of us, you know, young people, I was in my 20s, and you know, we were just naive enough to, know, to feel like we had to have all of our trust in Jesus, uh, partly because we didn't have a lot of the resources that you have when you're living in the, you know, the quote-unquote real world. And so we would have to trust him for everything. I mean, for our finances, for our health, for protection, everything. It was like, it almost became second nature to just trust him because you just didn't have many other options. And it was somewhat shocking to me after that coming back into the local church and seeing how much of a challenge that is for people to really have to trust God because at the end of the day, I don't know if I have to trust God for my finances, I just make sure I have a good job and work hard. I don't know if I have to trust God for my health because I can go to my doctor and get some medicine. You know, Unless I get that really bad report where the doctor says there's nothing more they can do, then, now okay Jesus, now we're trusting you. And what happens is, if we're not careful, God becomes a rainy day God for us. Or we only really need him if we are out of options. And listen, I'm not pointing fingers. This is human nature. It's absolutely, you see it all through the Bible with the Israelites. God would bless them, and they'd ignore him. He'd judge them, they'd, have, they'd get desperate, they'd pray, they'd repent, he'd bless them, they'd ignore him. I mean, just, <laughs> it's almost comical when you read through the Old Testament of how often they did this. It's human nature for all of us to just think like, well, you know, let's, let's look at all the options and oh, wait a minute. I mean, I have to remind myself even sometimes like, hmm, maybe I should pray about that instead of working my tail off trying to figure it out, right? That's just, a, that's just in our nature to want to control the situations in our life. It's human nature. But Jeremiah 17, 
the Lord spoke through Jeremiah, kind of a scary verse. In verse five, he says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. And he's not talking about a man, he's talking about you. Cursed are we if we're trusting in ourselves. And I believe what he's saying here is that eventually it will cause your heart to turn away from God. And man, this rings true to me. I don't know about you guys, but it rings true to me. When there are areas in my life where I'm like, you know what, God, I don't think I need to worry about you in this situation. I think I can figure this one out. I can control this one and work it out okay. What, you, what I find would happen to me is that even the areas where I typically want to trust God, I start to feel my heart being hardened towards that. Because when you give a little bit of control in your life, you know control is not content to just have a little piece of the pie. Control wants the whole pie. And it's aggressive to wanna take over the whole pie. So when you give areas of your life to your, give it into controlling it, it puts a lot of strain and tension on those other areas of life where you think you trust God. And it can infiltrate every area. It's like a cancer. It's like a virus that just gets in. It just starts attacking cells if we allow control to come in and have its way in our life. Our relationship with God is always going to be a challenge in this regard, but we have to be intentional. We have to remind ourselves that it is about trusting him. It is about giving ourselves to him. Trusting him is about committing our ways to him. It's about surrendering our will to him. It is about trusting him in such a way that no matter what the outcome is in every situation, that he's gonna be glorified and it's gonna be for my good. Trusting him doesn't mean we just sit back and we quit our job because I'm trusting God for my finances. I'm gonna eat fast food three meals a day because I'm trusting God for my health, right? You know what's gonna happen? <laughs> You're gonna get some clogged arteries in a hurry. Trust doesn't mean we do nothing. Trust is about our mindset in what we do. Like, I'm working hard to pay my bills, but I know that my, my, my support, my provision still comes from my God. He's the one that gave me the job. He's the one that gave me the ability to get out of bed so I can go to my job. He's the one that gave me a sound mind so I can work my job. He's the one that gave me everything I have, every single thing I have. That's right, praise God this morning. So I promised you we're only gonna take a minute on that. I'm actually gonna have you stand with me and close this morning. I'll, I'll talk more about trust and control later because I really wanna pray for us. I wanna encourage you today. I invite you, I encourage you to come to the altar if you wanna pray, spend some time with God. But if you don't wanna come up, I still wanna pray for you. And I ask you to respond in some way. It's important that we respond to the word of God whether it's lifting our hands, whether it's closing our eyes, whether it's kneeling, whatever it is, but respond to his word. It's his word, church, that changes us. It's his word that sets us free. It's his word that empowers us to live for him. If you've, if you've never really, or maybe it's been a long time since you've really focused on his love for you, can I encourage you today, don't take another step until you Determine in your heart that you're gonna fix your heart and your mind and your thoughts and your meditation on his love for you. I, I challenge you to do that this week. Like, listen, I know this can be taken out of context. It can be weird. I'm telling you, like, don't tell God this week how much you love him. Just take this whole week and just talk about how much he loves you. I'm not saying don't ever tell him how you love him again, please. Because <laughs> that's a good thing, too. But let's focus on his love for us and focus on conforming to his likeness. But you will not be able to conform to his likeness if you do not have a revelation of his love for you. You will, you can try, you can grit your teeth and try for a while, but what happens is you eventually fade, then you start feeling guilty, and then you start over again and you grit your teeth, and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna love God. At the end of the day, you're fighting a very much, very much of a losing battle because that's not the way he's designed it. The way he's designed it is to be in a response to his love for, him, for us. You have to know that love. Some of you just need a refresher on his love for you. You just haven't thought about it in a long time. Maybe you can think back to a time you had a revelation of his love and you remember it was in a church service and you were on your face sobbing because you realized that the Father really does love you and it just moved your heart. 
but you haven't felt that way in a long time, go back to that. Focus on it. Meditate on his love. And again, go into his word. Find the, find the scriptures that talk about his love for us and personalize it. Write it down. Recite it. There's nothing wrong with reading your prayer as long as you attach your heart to it. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. God, you're so good. Thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, we thank you most of all for your love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. God, I personalize that today. I thank you that while I was still a sinner, you came and you died for me. I receive that love. I know you love me. I know I'm, I'm the beloved disciple of Jesus. And I thank you for that today. Lord, would you reveal that to us in this place this morning, in this week, in this month, in this year. Remind us of your great love for us, not just in our head, but also in our heart. Because we, we wanna love you with everything. We wanna love you with our emotions, with our thoughts, with our choices, with our determination, every part of us. We wanna love you more than we love ourselves because we wanna honor you. We know that that's your desire for us. And we thank you that you never ask us to do something you haven't already done for us. So we honor you today, Lord. God, I pray for those in this place today that maybe it's been a long time since they've really experienced your love. Maybe some that have never experienced it. Lord, for people under my voice today that don't know you, God, would you touch their heart? Touch their heart in such a way that they can know that they can trust you. That you are the only person in all the universe worthy of our trust. We thank you today that you forgive us where we fall short, that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins as we confess them. Lord, we confess that we have fallen short so many times we can't even keep track of it. We're grateful for your grace and mercy. It covers it all, God. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. You're the only one that deserves it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. What a good God we serve, amen.